Right now on Tech Radio, Ireland on the moon. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. You're very welcome to episode 967. On the show this week, we're going to get the skinny on the new DigiPlus and Entrust programs at Maynooth University. We're also talking about the Irish connection with this week's moon landing, weird stuff from the future, which could be happening next week. And somebody has said no to Microsoft. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson, with us. Um, we made a huge error last week uh, on the show because we were talking about all space things except SpaceX. Yeah, yeah. But in all fairness, and this is actually where I kind of want to apologise to you who is listening to our podcast. We recorded the podcast before SpaceX went off in the, in, in the rocket and we had a note to say, don't forget to watch. Yeah. Uh, and we just we just forgot to mention so. But, but, you know, uh, what a thing to watch on playback, huh? There, there, there's a billionaire's folly if ever there was one. Well, you see, there you go. Mr. Doom and Gloom. Well, oh, no, no. look, right. they developed the biggest rocket that was ever built yeah. on planet Earth. And then the and first time ready. that they flew it, the thing took off. It didn't explode on the, on the thing. No, it look. went up vertically and it went up 40 kilometres into the sky. And then they had a, I love the term for it, right? The explosion, which they call a rapid unscheduled disassembly. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? Um, Elon Musk wanted this thing to go up on the 20th of April because 420, pot reference, ha ha ha, aren't we brilliant? Mm. Um, Two things happened, right? Uh, One, the launch pad was destroyed. So it's, you know, unknown whether he will be allowed to let another rocket up into the atmosphere uh, from, where was it? Cape Canaveral, was it? No, it was in uh, Texas. Texas, sorry. Um, yeah, it's it's uncertain whether he will be allowed to build another launch pad there. Uh, also, when you saw the footage, uh, straight away you went, hang on, some of those engines aren't firing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> straight away, you're like, that's that's not right. That's not right. Something has gone wrong. Um, they, they might hoop and holler and pretend everything is amazing. Uh, but clearly something has gone wrong. And then the rocket separated as it should. And mm. it was like, oh, still brilliant. And now it's going to go, what was it? Head over, head over heels basically and land. Mm. Uh, and then it just went over head, head over heels and then just kept going, kept repeating that motion. Oh my God. <laughs> Do you know what? I am so happy that your name is not Niall Edison. I can imagine. I've got to flick the switch now. And no, no, there's no light. I have to help no, with it. Leave it. it, leave it. You know, Alexander Graham Bell. It's like, yeah, yeah, I can ring. Oh, it's ringing. Look, yeah. Uh, hello, hello. No, can't hear anybody. Forget it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's a difference between uh, Elon Musk and those guys. But anyway, let's anyways, not get too far into it. Other intrepid uh, space explorers were making the headlines during the week. And again, I know you're going to go as a complete failure. I, I see this as an amazing success. Uh, there was a private company in Japan uh, who were sending a spacecraft to the moon and it was going to land autonomously, automatically, whatever, on the surface of the moon. It took off in... 
March, I think it was. Took about a month, whatever way they, they did it, uh, getting to the moon. It was meant to land on Tuesday. It arrived at the moon. It entered the uh, area of the moon. It went to touch down on the moon. And that's when it had a rapid unscheduled disassembly, we guess. Uh, and yeah, there, is, was, there is no more. It's, it's kind of unknown what happened. There was basically a feed and then the feed stopped. And what was meant mm. to happen was that um, basically a, a, an unmanned vehicle was due to be dropped uh, onto the moon, which was to go around and do its thing. Mm. Um, there, I think there was two vehicles. There was like loads of international invo- involvement in this. There was uh, Tomy and Sony had a collaboration on a, a vehicle. And there was also one from, I think it was Abu Dhabi, uh, called the Rashid, which mm. was um, uh, going to be deployed as well, which actually had some Irish involvement as well, uh, if you want to share with the group. For this particular one, yes, uh, there was a DCU project, which was, I don't want to say if it was on it, but there, there were wheels on this spacecraft. And when it touched down onto the moon, it was the, it was either going to just sit on the wheels or I assume it was going to move around the moon in some way. However, this DCU project had stuck a whole load of different strips on the wheels of the craft and they were all made out of different things. And what they were trying to test was moon dust uh, and how sticky it is uh, and how to make this not a problem anymore because apparently moon dust is extremely sticky and you can't replicate it here on on Earth. And the fact that it's extremely sticky means that when you send an aircraft there, it's getting in at the mechanics of it possibly or it could be getting into the air filtration possibly or it's certainly getting in and clogging things up. It can also interfere with the electronics. So it is kind of one of these things that needs to be either improved or eliminated or solved or whichever way you want to put it. And that was the DCU project on this particular uh, craft. And I'm kind of, I'm really disappointed. I'm disappointed for the guys over in DCU. Mm, Yeah. Because they didn't get the project to like kind of, to go to its conclusion. However, the amount of work and everything that they have done in planning this and thinking about it and applying themselves to coming to a solution. I mean, it's just phenomenal. That's work that's not wasted. Absolutely. And, you know, the next Irish project that comes along uh, to do it, anything, you know, space related, be it the space economy, be it a particular mission, that bank of knowledge is there. You know, exactly. There's a, and that will not go to waste. So it's unfortunate that, you know, we're not getting telemetry from the from the moon off the back of the, the project. But you know what? Somebody is going to make something and it's going to benefit from that experience. And it's amazing how much Irish involvement there is in space exploration. I mean, we did a program about it, oh, I can't remember, maybe a year ago or something like that. But like there's a hundred different companies in Ireland all involved in the space industry in some way or another. And I love that because we're such a tiny little speck on the globe when you think about it. But we're involved in so many cool things. It's yeah, brilliant. And this, it ranges from purpose-built software um, all the way out to things people had built anyway and mm. were using in other markets. And somebody said, maybe there is an application for that in space. Mm. And they would apply for an EU tender and maybe, you know, fair enough, it might get picked up, but maybe it might. And maybe, you know, something that you built to solve a problem in your back garden could end up solving a problem in a in a spaceship as well, you know. The, so keep an eye out for the EU tenders just to see what the European Space Agency is mm. looking for, because you never know, you might be working on something that has amazing applications. 
Let's move on to our next story. And uh, when we're doing the programme production for the podcast, we, we swap over mails, uh, emails, I should say. And Niall sent me an email and he said, I want to talk about the new boss in Ireland. It's Anne O'Leary, who used to work with Vodafone. That's all I need to say about that. And I'm like, uh-oh, is this like uh, a disaster that's waiting to happen? Or is it, oh, thank God, Anne O'Leary is here? There's hope. No, it's, it's congratulations, Anne O'Leary. Uh, well done. And the second um, uh, telecoms executive in Ireland to reach a really high position in the local operation of a multinational tech company because uh, Caroline Lennon went from air to the head of Salesforce mm. in Ireland. And now Anna Leary has gone from being the head of Vodafone in Ireland to the head of Meta. So, you know, that's that's pretty good career trajectory right there. Uh, that that is it, and uh, Irish people have done really well as CEOs of of some amazing companies. I, I'm thinking about aviation because that's the, that's my little geeky thing on mm. the side. But uh, fair play to Anne O'Leary, that's good. Uh, also, y- you don't realise here's how big that job is. All right, because I know you said it's a big job. All right, um, mm. but here's how big that job is. There was a story yesterday, I think it was day before maybe, uh, about the amount of corporation tax that's paid in Ireland. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And I think it was something along the lines of 80% or maybe, uh, no, maybe it wasn't that high. I think it was, say, 60%, all right, of corporation tax, of all corporation tax in this country, all right, 60% was paid by 10 firms. Mm. 10 companies responsible for 60% of corporation tax. And you can bet that uh, Meta and Facebook was one of them. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Anna yeah. O'Leary, bravo. Nice one on the gig. Uh, what else is going on in the news? Uh, weird stuff from the future that, that, that is happening now. Firstly, uh, Black Mirror, because that's just all about weird stuff <laughs> happening now. Love that series. I love Charlie Brooker. He is just, he's so dark. And he doesn't yeah. care. Do you know that kind of way? I love seeing him when he pops up as the, the host on Have I Got News For You because you just know he doesn't care. He'll say whatever he wants. <laughs> well, he's a, he's at that stage in his career where he, he, you know, kind of like Stephen Fry, sort of impervious to mm. criticism. You know, it's like he can say whatever the hell he wants yeah. and he's got an awful lot of stuff to say. Well, so, yeah. And series. he's also very, very, he's very, very funny. He is very, very good. So he, he, has, he has earned that. And Black Mirror has been an amazing series. Have you watched any of it before in the previous series? Yeah, I have. Yeah. And I've I've got my favourite episodes as well. So it's coming back for season six on Netflix. Yep. Um, there are some great episodes, some, some that I was surprised I enjoyed as much as I did. I mean, there's episode one, which is fine, set, set the tone for absolutely everything. Uh, plucked from the headlines, as the, as they say. Um, and uh, there was also that wonderful episode BRB, which uh, had one of the Gleasons in it, uh, which was about uh, a couple uh, away for a, for a weekend and the, um, uh, the man dies and his partner decides to bring him back in the form of an android. Um, and, you know, she has to process her grief that way, or maybe she doesn't want to. Maybe she wants to hang on to him. Um, There's a great episode as well. Uh, I also really liked um, Metalhead, which was uh, the episode about the drones, and it's almost completely dialogue-free, which I thought was fantastic, because Mm. one one of my favourite shows is Black Summer, and there is episodes of that that are entirely dialogue-free as well. Nothing nothing really meaningful 
uh, is said for the whole episode. Uh, Black Mirror managed to carry it on for for a bit longer than uh, than Black Summer. So, well done. Well, this is going to be the first series in uh, three years. I think it was the last one. And they've got some good stars lined up for the various episodes. Aaron Paul, of course, from uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, Josh Hartnett, Sam Hayek is going to be in one of them as well. It hits Netflix in June. The other freaky story from the future, which is uh, could be happening soon, is a problem with... Um, Aircraft, because one thing I keep hearing, electric cars, we hear about a left, right and centre, OK? And now the talk is all about electric aircraft. But the problem with electric aircraft is that you need batteries. So you can either put enough batteries on the plane to get it from A to B, or you can put people on the plane to get it from A to B, but you can't put both. So somebody has come up with an amazing solution. Listen to this. It's going to be one plane towing another plane. And the plane in front... <laughs> has got all the batteries on it and the plane behind has got the passengers. So we basically have two planes with a power line between them. That's essentially what it is. Isn't that That's kind of, in some ways it's just, it's bats, <laughs> bananas. It's just off its head crazy. But it would work. That is terrifying. We've we've gliders all the time. Yeah, maybe it's terrifying. I'm not crazy. I don't think it's the best solution in the world. But like we were talking about going to the moon, somebody's thinking about it and mm. they're putting two and two and that could lead on to something else. So so who knows? The uh, other thing that I think is really interesting, actually, and this is more down to a day to day practical, uh, is we're seeing laptops now and they're trying to get like kind of two screens. So instead of having a keyboard now, there's a laptop, which is just screen so that if you want to use it as two touch screens, off you go and do that. But if you want to use one as a keyboard in a traditional sense, it will show you an image of a keyboard on the touch screen and then you can type it. But we all know what it's like on our smartphone when you're trying to type into a text message or a WhatsApp or whatever, um, mm -hmm. that it's not quite the, the same. So somebody has come up with a solution for this to get this little kind of like a little feeling of a keyboard. All right. Mm -hmm. And essentially what they do is they're putting fluid into the screen and the fluid is able to fill an area of whatever predefined size. In this case, it'll be an area equivalent to a keyboard key for the letter G or H or J or whatever it happens to be. And there's, I don't know, I was going to say 26, there's 26 letters. There's got to be, what, 50 keys on a keyboard or 72 or something like that, whatever. Boom. Anyway, the gist of it is, is that the fluid will fill the screen and all of a sudden you will have a keyboard with bumps. Yeah, so that you were able to type as you would on a regular keyboard. Yeah, this is thanks to the Future Interfaces Group, which I think are based out of Stanford uh, in the States. And it's, mm. it's basically like a clear layer over your screen with these tiny little pumps that fill up um, sort of little key. Now, mm. they tried it on an iPad uh, mini uh, and it seemed to work pretty well. Now, the issue I have, I mean, they're calling this technology flat haptics and the problem I have is that I'm used to not having haptic feedback. And when I do have haptic feedback, I find it really unpleasant. It feels like being electrocuted all the time. I don't like it. <laughs> so <laughs> how this how this is going to solve that problem for me, I don't know. I can see it working really well on large devices, as you said, like, mm. you know, the, the laptop with two screens that you open up. <clears throat> I think that's a great solution for that mm. kind of thing. Uh, or, you know, gaming controllers with bespoke um, macros or something like on it. That, that's pretty interesting as well. It's when you get into things like 
you know, do I need one on my phone? I don't think so. I I, I think there's, you know, uh, as awful as I find the solution uh, for uh, phones in general, I don't think we need it. Also, I would be worried about how it would affect the resolution on the screen of a phone, whether uh, it would sort of dull anything. I'm not, not as worried for the second screen on a laptop for some reason. But for uh, but for a phone, I'm not sure it would be comfortable. I'm not sure on a phone, certainly not for a keyboard on a phone. Um, with the two screens on the laptop and to be able to have a keyboard, I think it would feel a little better than just typing on pure glass. But you know what I think it will be absolutely brilliant? Is on the display in the car for your maps and your radio and your entertainment and everything like that. Because one of the things I love about, I mean, to call me old fashioned, but, you know, kind of years ago, uh, before we had uh, screens in cars, there were buttons and you kind of knew you could drive the car and you knew by the touch and the feel uh, what it was you were doing, whether you were turning up the volume of the, the radio or whether you were just flipping between stations or whatever it happened to be. You could do that by feel and still keep your eyes and your attention on the, on the road. You can't really do that anymore because you have to look at the screen to make sure you're, you're hitting it in the right place. So I think that kind of technology could work really, really well on a car display. Uh, last story for you today, uh, and this is Niall's area because he is the gamer in the family. So um, we're seeing you, it yes. left, right and center. Well, you are. Well, you're more of a gamer than I am. Um, well, there you go. There you go. Microsoft, uh, this is all over the news uh, this week, uh, want to buy a games company called Activision. And a lot of people do not think this is a great idea. Where oh, are well, we I mean, you know, not a lot of people have thought that this has been a great idea for a long, long time at this stage. I think we might have talked about this we have. Uh, previously because um, this would be the biggest acquisition in games history because as we, as we know Microsoft you know have their massive slate of titles developers they have you know big um franchises like Halo would have been their you know their 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 draw to the Xbox um now of course we're in an age where content is sort of it can be platform agnostic or you know it might be a sell for a particular um particular console over another for example if you want to play final fantasy good luck doing it on an xbox uh you know come on in sony um because that's that's just how the market has worked now microsoft has wanted to acquire activision blizzard which is one of you know the the biggest games companies in the world Mm. i suppose most known in in our age for uh, world of warcraft uh, which is on the, the Blizzard end initially. But, you know, they've also got Candy Crush Saga, Overwatch, you know, um, okay, games that mightn't be particularly fancy, but there they are. And, um, of course, Microsoft is Call of Duty. Um, so it kind of, um, it, it was going to be trouble. This deal was going to be worth, I think, £55 billion. Pounds. Uh, and the Competition and Markets Authority in the UK have stepped in and went, nope. Sorry, we're not passing this deal. This deal would have a chilling effect on the market. It would reduce innovation. Uh, we're not terribly, we're not going to let this pass. And it's the second big tech acquisition they've squashed lately because you might remember Facebook went to buy Giphy um, and they were told, no, you can't do that for the exact same reasons. Mm. Um, it's like, we want to promote diversity and competition in the market. If you're buying up a competitor, it's not necessarily because you're interested in their technology. It's because you don't want them in competition with you. Uh, which makes perfect sense. 
So uh, it's a big win for gamers. Um, I mean, Microsoft is still dominant in PC gaming. I mean, there's there's no getting away from that. However, in the console space, it's much more competitive. So, um, yep, good win for consumers. I'm sure Sony is heaving a sigh of relief. Uh, and Microsoft have come out and they, there's been saber rattling saying, oh, well, this is going to affect our plans for the UK and all this kind of tomfoolery. I mean, or malarkey, as a, as a wise man says. A win for gamers. Let's uh, leave it on that note. Niall Kitson, editor at Tech Central. Thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. The Innovation Value Institute at Maynooth University is leading two new programmes worth a combined €7 million. DigiPlus and Entrust are focused on sustainable digital transformation and data, both of which are funded by the European Commission under the Mary Skwidowska Curry programme. DigiPlus is also supported by the SFI Research Centres Lero and Adapt. Professor Marcus Helfert is Director of the Innovation Value Institute and the Science Foundation are Empower Data Governance Program, and he explained it all to Nal Kitson. Marcus, today we're talking about two programs, uh, Entrust and DigiPlus. Um, tell us a little bit about them because they they have sort of a, a very interesting overlap in terms of kind of content and outputs, albeit aimed at kind of different. Um, sectors, I suppose, although they, they both exist in, in agri-tech. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, their similarities, and then maybe we'll talk about their differences later on. Thanks, Niall, um, for having um, me here and talking about our two uh, new programs. Both are funded from the European Union under the Marie Kislodowska Kori uh, program. They are both focused on uh, training, research, uh, and working with outstanding researchers on uh, in one program, the DigiPlus program, on a postdoctoral research fellow level and in interest on doctoral uh, students. And both programs will form a cohort of these researchers, on the one side doctoral students, on the other side research fellows, to work on research challenges around digital transformation, data governance, to avail of the opportunity what data uh, provides and um, making use out of the data, providing value to provide efficiencies um, uh, around this. Interest particular focus on the ACRI sector, ACRI data management, providing uh, leadership, the next generation of technologies and approaches for trustworthy ACRI data management and ACRI data use. Uh, and DigiPlus um, uh, provides a fellowship program for 20 research fellows around sustainable digital transformation where we twin sustainability, the green aspects and digital transformation. And both of the projects are in an international uh, environment context, uh, intersectoral, so working with industry and organization, public and private sector organizations and interdisciplinarity, so social science, business management and technology together. So they have lots of overlaps, a lot of same intention, but different on uh, uh, the target group and also uh, one is more on the actual data management. Looking at what you're uh, trying to achieve within trust, very often in the academic sector, we hear about a lack of talent and how difficult it can be to get 
top tier researchers to come to Ireland. Um, where do you see Entrust solving this problem? Do you see it in terms of bringing more talent to Ireland or reaching out to other countries to create a network that way? Both ways. So first of all, Marek Slodowska, Corrie, all researchers have to move from their country where they are to another one. So we will have three positions in Entrust in Ireland. So they move to Ireland. But also overall, we have 11 researchers working in a European context, collaborating uh, around the topics. So that international uh, collaboration talent pool uh, is an, an important uh, aspect. And I think uh, particular with Entrust, uh, European doctoral network and uh, the exciting opportunity which uh, that program offers, I think we can help to uh, bring some of the researchers together, bring some of the researchers to Ireland. And from experience, many of the researchers which work with us, they stay in Ireland, they're working with organizations afterwards in Ireland. So I think Entrust, particular uh, as doctoral network where we work with organizations, is particularly suited uh, for um, uh, helping with the, with the talent shortage. Uh, and also one, one aspect I think is important to mention is interdisciplinarity so that they work in um, uh, business and technology. And uh, there's a certain shortage of these uh, graduates, these people who can actually really tackle challenges. So let's have a look at the, the finer detail of what uh, Entrust in DigiPlus will be working on. One of the problems that we have when looking at data and data science is that we have all this information that has not so much being gathered in many cases as accumulated over time without a particular standard where, you know, we're finding companies dealing with material that might be flawed and leading to bias in some of their outputs. So how do you see Entrust working in terms of data governance and policy, for example? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, with particularly in AgriData, AgriData management, so we can see a lot of uh, um, options, possibilities of having data. So basically position, farming, machinery. Uh, so there's a lot of data available. And what we need to ensure to have the right policies, the right practices in place. First of all, that data can be shared, that data can be shared in a trustworthy, compliant way. But but then also when we create value out of the data, so when we understand more about uh, uh, farming, agri-management, that actually the value which created from the data is also shared with, for example, the providers of data, the farmers, with, for example, the community uh, around this, so that basically that data, the benefits of that data is really shared in that way, and I feel that good data governance practices, policies, rules, way of doing this um, uh, are important and they're far reaching than just technology uh, uh, approaches. And of course, this feeds into the European data strategy, which has this vision of kind of the, an open market for data. Is this something that you're quite interested in as well? Absolutely. And that work from Entrust and DigiPlus from both of the program and the research we do around uh, data governance uh, feeds uh, well into uh, the, the ambition what the European Union has with the European data uh, strategy and data governance. So to establish 
a new way, a trusted way of data governance. So where we look at technologies, for example, uh, how to preserve privacy, how to share data in, in that way, but also far reaching to standards. How are the best ways to do that? Um, also uh, the, the people components, so ethical considerations. So what are ways, what are accepted um, ways to share data, to, to use data? Uh, and I think there are so many open challenges around this and uh, uh, that the European data strategy goes certainly in the right way on uh, sharing data, sharing data for many uses and uh, that new way of data governance uh, to facilitate a trustworthy uh, data sharing across sectors, across the European Union and really availing of the data that we have. I think it's very important to look at sort of the idea of the data space in relation to GDPR, which really reconfigured people's attitude to data that was being gathered about them individually. When it comes to data spaces, we're not necessarily looking at individually identifiable data, but data that has come from, you know, machinery, from the Internet of Things, things that aren't necessarily related to people. Isn't that right? Exactly, but um, still, it's very valuable data. And if you put that together as a data space, so we have on the one side the opportunities to analyze the data, to understand more about agriculture, uh, but also, of course, the value which we create needs to be shared uh, alongside uh, to the data producers, for example, to the farmers, to the society. So I think this kind of way of looking at data spaces, value sharing, compliance, ethical, and acceptance acceptable standards and way how we really uh, use the data is so important. So let's have a look at some of the outputs then. Uh, when we're talking about sort of uh, agri-data driven technology, uh, what exactly are we looking for and how do we maintain that line of you know, communication between farmers uh, and academics and industry? Yeah, and there again, um, Marisol Doska Kori, the program, the doctoral network is well positioned. So all of the, 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 the doctoral, uh, candidates, the doctoral researchers need to be immersed into practice. So they either are located, uh, as an organization or working uh, with organizations together, um, and working on a practical way of case studies, uh, applying technology, but not only technology. So, uh, also so these data governance practices, guidelines, uh, and for example, also even thinking about innovative business models. So what can be done with that data? How can the value be shared around this? And uh, uh, this will be all uh, shared with the community um, as guidelines, presentations, webinars. So over the next uh, years, when both of these programs, Entrust and DigiPlus run, uh, we will share that information with the community. And of course, it's also open for collaboration collaborations with organizations, uh, so very practical, collaborative, uh, intersectoral, so between academia, non-academia, organizations, uh, that's the setting where we operate, uh, where, where both of these projects uh, are situated. suppose when we're talking about data in Ireland, it's a particularly sensitive topic is that of data uh, storage, data processing, uh, particularly storage with the amount of data centers that we have that we're dealing with and their effects on the national grid. How does what you're working with tie into uh, effectively data management and Europe's grand plan of the Green Deal? 
Yeah, and now I would like to refer to the the DigiPlus uh, project where we twinned uh, sustainability green and digital transformation data governance. So where all the projects uh, which the fellows work on have to have a sustainability angle on it. So in DigiPlus, they can also look at technologies, data governance, business models, but all of them thinking about how that actually helps to achieve uh, the ambition with the Green Deal, with sustainability goals within the European Union. So this could be more energy efficient algorithms. This could be more like actually exploitation of data for sustainability. Uh, this could be uh, different types of business models looking at uh, sustainability. So it's clearly linked to sustainability, Green Deal uh, um, um, uh, ambitions from the European Union. And does sustainability really underpin uh, the kind of work that you're doing? Or is it, you know, something that's always kind of in the background that you're, you're sort of uh, keeping an eye on? It's certainly over the last years, it's uh, moved from a background to a very visible and a very important parameter of research. And I would actually go a step further. So all the research we do have, of course, a sustainability angle and, and link to it. So uh, we, we always like uh, think about how technology, digital transformation, of course, can help uh, as well uh, to, to, to fulfill help with the sustainability goal. And also with Mary Kislodowska korea we also thinking about how, for example, how can we uh, reduce the environmental impact on our with our own or through our own research. So reducing travel, using, for example, uh, online meetings and or making uh, travel and when we meet in person valuable to the combined meetings. So we actually also incorporated a sustainability aspects in the way how we conduct research. That's very interesting that you're sort of you're, you're practicing what you're preaching or even looking at ways to, to make your collaborations even more effective. Uh, I, I imagine this is an ongoing conversation that you're having with your own researchers as well as people at management level. Yeah, absolutely. It's on all the levels and with all the partners. Uh, and of course, we, we need to look how, uh, how, how we shape this data, data sharing, digital transformation. So how the world with digital and data actually looks over the next couple of years, how we can avail of the possibilities, options, but also how we can uh, make a, a contribute to the sustainability, uh, society and, uh, and environmental goals and and I think uh, digital transformation, data, uh, the technologies are key to it if it's done right. And if the mix with that interdisciplinarity, with the skill set, then the people are can leading change, uh, then, then we have it right in, 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 in that way that we basically really um, help sustainability, Green Deal, but also shaping the digital uh, society, digital transformation. And that was Professor Margaret Helfert, Director of the Innovation Value Institute, chatting with Niall Kitson. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. There are more stories online that we didn't have time for in the podcast, including the shortlist for the 2023 Tech Excellence Awards just been released, the latest on the Zero Trust Summit, and good news for Microsoft and Google in their first quarter results. You'll find all of those stories on our website for you right now at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra, or you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. 
Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and Niall Kitson, have a great bank holiday weekend. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.